Well, this is a different bunch than I usually preach to. <laughs> see some familiar faces. Good to have you back with us. See you again. Our scripture lesson that I was given is from Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. The people have been wandering around in the wilderness after leaving Egypt. And finally, uh, it's time after... 40 years of wandering. Someone said the reason why they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years was because Moses wouldn't ask directions. <laughs> but now they're ready to go across the Jordan River and take possession of the promised land. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers. To give them, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Thanks be to God for this word. May he bless this reading in Jesus' name. A theme. God is with his people. God has been faithful. First of all, I want to thank you for this invitation to return and share in your 150th anniversary celebrations. I was very pleased to be able to say yes when Brian's email came asking if I would consider being one of your speakers. Believe it or not, it's been 33 years since I first arrived as pastor of the Burvey, Kinloss, and Chalmers United Churches. Can't believe it was that long ago. It's also been 15 years since I left. A lot has happened throughout those years. And I've really been privileged to be a part of those 15 years that I was with you. I understand that for the month of, whole month of September, you've been celebrating God's faithfulness throughout the generations, and I would like to address that theme in three areas uh, based on these scriptures. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. These declare that Jesus Christ has been with you in the past, he is with us today, and he will be with you in all your tomorrows. Thus we can, 
celebrate the past, rejoice in the present, and trust in the future. I find it interesting we got a, a poster up here, and I didn't know you had that poster, and I got, sort of got the same themes here. A little bit Griffith worthy, anticipate the future, be faithful today, and celebrate the past. So, let's celebrate the past. I expect that you've been doing a lot of this during the past few weeks, digging into all the rich church and varied history of this church. I don't know whether you still have photos of the first church building built, built by the Presbyterians, and there was also a horse shed out here. There was used to be a picture of that, too. Do you mind if I just share a little and celebrate my 15 years with Chalmers Church? I'm 79, so I guess I can be excused if I indulge in a little reminiscing. It's great to see the ch all the children here still. Uh, children were a very important part of this congregation. I just loved doing the children's story, although sometimes some of the questions, some of the answers to my questions were a little bit embarrassing for parents. But I have a copy here of a history of the Bible as written by Sunday school children. One of Moses' best helpers was Joshua, who was the first Bible guide to use spies. Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, Jericho rather, and the fence fell over on the town. After Joshua came David. He got to be king by killing a giant with a slingshot. He had a son named Solomon who had about 300 wives and 500 porcupines. <laughs> My teacher said he was wise, but that doesn't sound very wise to me. After Solomon were a bunch of major league prophets, one of these was Jonah, who was swallowed by a big whale and then barfed up on the shore. <laughs> there were also some minor league prophets, but I guess we don't have to worry about them. After the Old Testament came the New Testament. Jesus is the star of the New Testament. He was born in Bethlehem in a barn. I wish I had been born in a barn, because then when my mom said to me, were you born in a barn? I could say, yes, I a matter of fact, I was. <laughs> During his life, Jesus had many arguments with sinners, like the Pharisees and Republicans. Jesus also had 12 apostles. The worst one was Judas Asparagus. He was so evil, they named a terrible vegetable after him. Jesus was a great man. He healed many leopards and even preached to some Germans on the mount. But the Republicans and all those guys put Jesus on a trial before Pontius the Pilate. Pilate didn't stick up for Jesus. He just washed his hands instead. Anyway, Jesus died for our sins, then came back to life again. He went up to heaven, but will be back again. His return is foretold in the book of Revolution. Well, children are a delight, and I'm sure that they're still a delight for this congregation. So where and how did I experience God's faithfulness throughout my generations with you? Besides baptizing 40 adorable and cute babies, and I probably some of, maybe some of you are here today whom I baptized, <laughs> I'm not sure. I also baptized a few not-so-cute and not-so-adorable adults. 
I joined in wedlock 39 couples. The most interesting one was one Sunday morning when I announced to the congregation that Clarence Campbell had just married Marg. They came to me in a little quiet ceremony and said, don't tell anybody. And so they were quietly married in my study. These were retired couples. I don't know, they were both in their 70s or 80s. And they don't, don't let anybody know. And so the first time I, anybody knew about that was on Sunday morning at church. And so I announced Mr. and Mrs. Clarence Campbell. And you should have seen the looks on the congregation's eyes. But it was also not so pleasant to have to perform funeral services for 42 beloved members, some of whom were also very, very dear friends, like my golfing buddy, Glenn Walker. Some of you may remember that many, many part of my ministry here I'd burned out. And when I was in recovery for burnout, Glenn Walker came and said, what you need is, you know, you need every once in a while, you need to go a nice early morning golfing uh, course, golfing round with me. So I took up golfing. My brother-in-law, who heard about that, who was also a golfer, said, you're trying to recover from stress and you're taking up golfing? <laughs> However, uh, it was very helpful and I appreciate those bright, those crisp, clear mornings when Glenn and I had a round of golf. Oh, and uh, by the way, I also preached 577 sermons. Whew. Wow. But the most important statistic of all can't be remembered. Those who came to a saving knowledge of Jesus as Lord, who received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, who overcame some personal challenge, who fell much, much deeper in love with the Lord. All those kinds of spiritual blessings, maybe you never even hear about, but they're ingrained, they're part of people's lives. And they're very, very important moments. Probably one of the unique things that happened in the past was the men's Bible study. I had mentioned this to other of my colleagues when I went to church conferences, and they were quite amazed that I would, we were still carrying on a men's Bible study here. There were maybe average of a dozen men came out to that, and I think there were all maybe about 20 altogether who participated it from time to time. But probably the most memorable time was the founding of this church, the founding of the community church. After Chalmers' congregation and some of families from Burvey and Kinloss left the United Church of Canada, it was a long, hard battle that went on for almost a year. The key to keeping this church building was the fact that there was no deed. Somehow it had been lost or there never was one. And so after many, many trips to Toronto with Jimmy, you probably remember all those trips down there to look, after the, look, look through the archives, one could not be found. And so we finally got a quit claim deed in possession of this, of this church building from the United Church of Canada. There were a couple of humorous moments that eased the stress. The Presbytery, United Church Presbytery, finally agreed to meet with us. We had started having services here, and the United a few people from Kincardine and two remaining families were still having services here as well, and we decided that was kind of ridiculous, so we locked them out. And so the United Church finally had, well, let's meet with you and negotiate. And so we had that meeting, and uh, we met 
met, and the first thing they wanted was they demanded the key. You say, well, yes, that's what we're here to talk about. No, we want the key first. No key, no meeting, they left. And poor old Cecil Sutton, he was late for the meeting, and he met the committee going down the steps while well, they were going up. <laughs> One morning, I arrived at church, and we were having services here, and the, there used to be a big United Church crest on the glass door and was gone this one morning. So I asked Edna, what happened to it? She hadn't a clue. Obviously said, well, maybe some little birds are back. We've had trouble with squirrels. Maybe they came and took it. There was also an historical record that showed that the, back in 1925, when the Congregationalists and Presbyterians joined the United Church of Canada, uh, this church had been formerly Presbyterian. And when the United Church formed, it became a United Church, but there were some what called dissenting Presbyterians that didn't want to enter Union. And so at that point, the United Church of Canada locked the Presbyterians out. So we didn't feel too bad when we, in turn, locked the United Church out. So once all the legal details were after, then came the delightful task of building the new congregation, the Community Church. I think it was Catherine Gowing that suggested that name, and it, it kind of rung, rung a bell. Yeah, we want to be a church that serves the community. And so there was the organ, growing of organizations, the building of organizations, establishing boards, constitution writing, Sunday school organizations, worship planning. We even had an orchestra back in those days. Then the joining of the newly formed Congregational Christian Churches of Canada, of which you are now a part. And during that history of that, we kind of explored the roots of the Congregational Church, and we found that they went all the way back to the Puritans who came over from England and Holland and formed, came, to, came to the New England area, to Plymouth Rock. And we found one interesting thing about those early, those early Puritan churches. Their services were very long. They maybe preached for an hour or two. And so there were ushers who sat, stood at the back of the church and had these long sticks. And if someone kind of dozed off, they kind of gave him a poke. <laughs> and so this one morning, this guy was sleeping, gave him a poke. A few months later, he nodded again, so they gave him another poke. He nodded again, so the usher conked him on the head. He fell over in the, in the aisle. And the usher leaned over and said, are you okay? He says, he says, hit me again, I can still hear him. <laughs> but anyway, I thought I might bring some sticks today, but... For me, it was such a delight to have one service a Sunday instead of the mad dash around the circuit of three churches, sometimes with lunch on the fly. And one of the discoveries we found when we formed the new church was the great wealth of musical talent. And that's still here, isn't it? We had different praise teams for each Sunday school of the month. And it was exciting to be back and play with the country gospel band again. There's the original bunch. Half of them have passed on and gone to be with the Lord, but some of you still may have the CD we made with, with that picture on it. I know Harvey McKay wore his CD out. He played it so much. But for me, it was a delight to, to be back playing with the band today. It was one of the groups that was birthed in the new church. And it's rejoiced in God's faithfulness that that, that band is still here picking and grinning throughout the generations. It began one Sunday when I 
decided to start playing the violin and Oral and Ken and I were doing some jamming and again it was kind of a surprise for the congregation when Oral and Ken and I played a trio and that sort of began more jamming and finally the band was formed. So I can celebrate with you today because of everything that happened during those 15 years. I was delighted to be a part of it. I saw the presence of the Lord with us and I hope you too have seen that. God has been faithful to this body, but he has also been helped tremendously that you too, this congregation and all the people who've been part of this since its forming back in whenever it was by the Presbyterians 150 years ago, they've been faithful as well. And so let's also rejoice in the present. You have much to rejoice over. After 150 years, think of it, this congregation, this church is still here, being a lighthouse, being a beacon, a witness in this community. A few months ago, I attended, I attended a service with Barbara and heard glowing reports of a mission trip. The youth were on, and here they are, going another, another youth going on a mission trip. And here's you know, and here's Philip up leading the congregation, as he said. He was just a, a little young gaffer when I was here. I saw all the improvements you've made in the building. Uh, it's, that says, hey, you care about this building. You care about the building as a representative of the Christian faith in this community. But most of all, when I attended that day, I could still feel it, and I can still feel it today, that personal, friendly warmth and presence of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is here. So I rejoice with you today that God is still with you. And I encourage you to very carefully protect, carefully minister, respect and guard that presence of the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. As we consider the present, maybe some of you might like a quick update on the Dawkins clan. This year we had our 51st anniversary. That's a year ago when we had our 50th anniversary and the whole clan got together. Some of you may recognize our children, Mark and Kristen, who were part of this congregation. Jean got a new wedding ring. I bought myself a fishing pole. <laughs> so we've, uh, we both had some physical and health challenges but are managing well in spite of them. God has been faithful. They say, I'm in pretty good shape for the shape I'm in. A few weeks ago, however, I discovered a new one. Kristen, our daughter, had been having some problems where she worked. After some counseling and tests, she was diagnosed with ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder. Our son, Mark, uh, has had that for years, only he's got the, the other version, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So Kristen came to me one day and said, hey, Dad, there's a good chance that this problem this is hereditary. You better get yourself checked out. So I did. And guess what? They both got it from me. Not exactly the best inheritance you want to give your kids. I guess I've had it all my life. However, one good thing about the discovery is that I now know the reason why I had some of the health and emotional issues I faced all my life. That may also explain some of the things I did while I was here. 
this disorder, really kind of a brain damage during, during the birth period, there's part of your brain that doesn't quite fully develop, makes one prone to distractions and making of the silly mistakes. Like in a sermon, when I once said, when I was talking about Martin Luther, uh, that he extinguished himself in his university studies. <laughs> but the best one was when I prayed, Lord, forgive us the sins we've left undone. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. <laughs> I guess I wanted you to be, I guess I wanted the congregation kind of to be ready in case they did. <laughs> ADH people are also very forgetful which explains why I had trouble remembering your names. I really felt bad about that. I worked really hard at trying to overcome it. On Sunday mornings, I would sometimes go over the roll and look at names and try to remember them, but I'd get to the service and I'd still call Bill John and Sue Mary. It was very frustrating. So forgive me for that time. I couldn't help it. It was brain damage. <laughs> On the, another characteristic is that you tend to act impulsively which explains why I maybe sometimes jumped on the latest bandwagon, like the time we adopted a vegetarian vegan diet in the middle of a congregation of beef and dairy farmers. <laughs> Remember the board meeting, Lois, I was talking about the virtues of the vegetarian diet, and Lois put it out, well, everybody knows beef is good for you. And Jamie Conway exclaimed, me a vegetarian? Oh, no way. Good to know. I'm off it now. We're off it now. We finally found out that a vegetarian diet really, really isn't biblical. It may have also contributed to the burnout I experienced uh, during the 1990s. So thanks, those of you who knew me back then, who were part of the experience back then. Thanks for being with me through all those years, enduring with me all our wild diversions and extravagances. You were awesome. Very loving bunch. The support we received, especially after a motor vehicle accident and my burnout, was very, very much appreciated beyond, beyond belief. And special thanks, of course, to our neighbors, Clarence and, and Pat Jarvis. But in spite of all my human weaknesses and challenges, God was faithful and blessed you abundantly. And so we are now rejoicing in God's faithfulness as he helped us walk through all these present health challenges. But what in the present are the places where you can rejoice in God's faithfulness today? As a church, as a congregation, we shared some of the things. You see, so I've seen some of the things already just for being here for a few days, a couple of services going on. In your individual lives, what's happening as a family, like a present family, as an extended family, in your jobs, how are you, are you experiencing God's faithfulness there, helping you to do the job you're called to do? And for those of you who are seniors, in your retirement and your seniors' years. And so I suggest today you'd go home and be talk over with one another. Okay, what about in, the, in our present lives are the places where we can rejoice in God's faithfulness? God's faithfulness has been there. And here's a verse to remind you of that. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So whatever challenges you may be facing in your present, God is there. Because of God's faithfulness in the past and the present, we can also trust in the future. And so 
remind you of that verse in Jeremiah? This is a favorite verse that I just, I just love this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This has been one of the key verses so many times in giving me encouragement throughout my lives. Have you ever wondered where you'd be now if you had made different decisions throughout your life, especially some of the major ones, places you live, schools attended, job choices, lifestyle issues. I have, often in contemplative moments or when things maybe don't work out the way I wanted them to, I wonder where I'd be if I'd made different decisions. Did I make the right ones? Like places, we different places we moved to. We had a cottage once. Was I made the right decision to sell it? Moving, becoming a pastor instead of, instead of an electrical engineer, attending Queen's University instead of Toronto. And yes, even if I had married one of those other girlfriends, but I only think about that for a split second. <laughs> I know that this was the one the Lord had for me. And we really enjoy those 51 years of marriage. But every time I do that, every time I think, well, did I make the right decisions? I get a very strong conviction. No. I believe that I am right now in exactly the place the Lord wants me to be, that he intends me to be, because I know his hand has been guiding my life. He has had a future for me, like this verse says, I know the plans for you to give you a hope and a future. And I'm now living in that future. The context uh, of that verse, of course, is that the people of Israel, verse again, standing also on the edge of going, uh, they were exiles in Babylon, and this was a promise of restoration. This is before, quite a bit before the passage we read today. They're in exile, they're there, and but they've been promised that God is going to help be with them. He's going to return them to their promised land. Did the Lord fulfill that? Yes, he did, as the passage we read today proves. But that didn't happen for another 58 years. And so all that time, the people of Israel had to be faithful that God would fulfill that promise. And so God did what he said he would do. And you can believe God will do what he says he will do too. Your future is in God's hands. And so we come to that Joshua scripture I read today about the Lord commanding the people to be strong and courteous and courageous. And the last verse, verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There they were, on the edge of the promised land, ready to go forth, take their inheritance. They all had a new future ahead of them. And so, we too have an inheritance. You too have an inheritance. You have a future before you that's going to be good because God is going to be with you. Here's another verse. You're going to be inheritors of salvation. I hope that most of you have, maybe all of you, have no idea what the spiritual life of this congregation is now. Maybe all of you received the assurance of your salvation 
in Jesus Christ our Lord. But that's a promise God has made. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him like he is. With long life, the Lord says, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us this message of salvation has been sent. And Timothy 2 verse 4 says, God wants men to be saved and come to a knowledge of his truth. These texts make it quite clear that God's future for every person who is born into this world is to eventually come to a knowledge of his salvation, to accept it personally for themselves and live forever with the Lord. Of course, we know he's also provided the means to do that, by which we can accept that salvation by sending Jesus. Satan thought he had that salvation ended when Christ was on the cross, but we know That was not true. Christ rose again and secured our eternal salvation for all time. And this is what that salvation looks like. One day we shall see him as he is and we shall be like him, like Jesus. I don't know about you, but that thrills me beyond belief to one day be in heaven with Jesus. And as you get older, you get more expectant of that. But to one day... Be like Jesus. Think about that. Let let that really sink in. Let it well up in your spirit today. On this earth, in this human life, I know I do and I'm sure you do as well. Struggle hard to be like Jesus. Time and time again I fail. Sin is always ever so present, tempting me. And so often I just yield to it. But someday... Someday that's all going to end and I shall be transformed into the image of his likeness. Oh, what a great and glorious experience that's going to be. So finally, glad to hear that word. Have you claimed your eternal salvation? It's not automatic, you know. You have to ask. Eternal life is real. I think I can give you an example that might... might prove it to you. A few months ago, April 22nd to be exact, I celebrated my 79th birthday. As I did my morning journaling that day, I was reflecting and I was talking to God, you know, am I really that old? I, you know, this physical body can't do as much, it does feel old, but in my mind, in my heart, in my soul, I really don't feel that old. I really don't feel any older than I did, you know, those 33 years ago when I first came here. My spirit, when I look out upon the world, I'm, I'm looking out upon the world with the same kind of feeling within me that I've had for as long as I can remember. So I talked to the Lord about that. Does that ring true for anybody else? Do you kind of have that feeling that, you know, your body is getting older, but within yourself, that which is essentially you, still doesn't get any older? So I talked to that about the Lord, and the Lord responded, that's because that inner self, that which is you, never grows old. It's eternal. Wow, what a revelation. That which is the essence of me, that which is the essence of you, is eternal. It's going to live forever. 
there is part of us that is eternal and is going to live on forever. And the best part is, we get to choose where we live forever. Make that choice to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we will be inheritors of that verse. Have you inherited your eternal salvation? One of my favorite authors recently is a man called John Eldridge. He has a men's ministry down in California. We've done a lot of, maybe uh, some of you have read some of his books. Here's a, a little quote I want to conclude by, by John Eldridge about heaven. If our pictures of heaven are to move us, they must be moving pictures. So go ahead, dream a little. Use your imagination. Picture the best possible ending to your story you can. If that isn't heaven, something better is. When Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, he simply means we cannot outdream God. What is the end of our personal journeys? Something beyond our wildest imagination. But if we explore the secrets of our hearts in the light of the promises of Scripture, we can discover clues. As we have said, there is in the heart of every man, woman, and child that which is eternal and inconsolable, longing for intimacy, for beauty, for adventure. What will heaven offer to our heart of hurts? Heart of hearts. Have you accepted and received your eternal salvation? That's the future God has for this church. So continue this next few weeks to celebrate the past, rejoice in the present, and trust in the future. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that being such a great and awesome Father to us, being a faithful God throughout all the generations that this church has been a present in this community. Thank you, Father. Continue to pray, Lord, for the, for the board, all the, all the people, the workers, the volunteers, the leadership, for Brian and uh, all the rest of the leaders of this congregation as they continue to minister God's saving grace in this community. Bless them all, protect them, guard them, keep them. In this congregation, Lord, continue to help it to grow, to be a light, that beacon in this community, shining forth with good news, the good news, the Savior has come, and he cares, and there's a God who loves you. So thank you, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.